The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Quantum Business Insights, emerging perspectives on people, process, and profits. Your host is Olivia Parr-Rood. In today's fast-paced, high-tech global economy, the business landscape is constantly evolving. To be successful, companies must continually adapt as well as identify and exploit new opportunities. Now, here is the host of Quantum Business Insights, Olivia Parr-Rood. Olivia here, and welcome to Quantum Business Insights, where each week we explore new perspectives on the changing nature of business with thought leaders from around the world, and with a special emphasis on what I feel is our most valuable asset, our human capital. Today, I'm very excited to have as my guest, Ross Hostetter, and we'll be discussing going beyond expert toward being-driven leadership. Before we get started, let me tell you a little bit about Ross. He is an award-winning novelist, thought leader, and spiritual innovator. He works as an ontological coach, lawyer, evolutionary systems designer, and conflict resolution specialist. Ross has taken his 30-plus years of experience and developed the Personal Evolution Project, through which he customizes leadership training and consulting that seeks to design solutions to complex problems while building character and capacity in exceptional individuals and organizations. Ross's award-winning novel, Keepers of the Field, is a spiritual adventure story that I highly recommend. Along with his wife, Mary, Ross is founder of the Fieldwork School, a unique training ground for people who are called to serve something larger than themselves and who want to develop the cast capacity to bring the gifts of their heart into the world. Ross, welcome to Quantum Business Insights. Thank you, Olivia. It's great to be here with you. Thank you. So, as you know, I've worked in the corporate world for a long time, and I believe that being an expert is something to which many of us aspire. But today we're discussing going beyond expert towards being-driven leadership. How do you define expert, and what does it mean to go beyond expert? Well, thank you, Olivia. That's a great question. Um, Just to begin to talk about what an expert means, I think that there's uh, three basic definitions. Uh, One is someone that's reached the target objective of formal education in the Western world. And that target uh, objective is really to produce a caring and conscientious professional in a given field or line of development. So one definition of expert is a group of people who've completed a high level of formal education and are people who have been licensed by society or some licensing body to hold themselves out as experts. So Mm. that includes the old categories of licensed or commissioned or ordained professionals uh, who have degrees like doctors, lawyers, accountants, architects, psychologists, engineers, teachers, clergymen, that sort of thing. Mm. All those people 
uh, like us who have initials behind their names. <laughs> and, there's a, and there's a lot of them. Yes. And then in addition to these, there's a huge number of new professionals that know how to do complex tasks in computer-related fields in science and mathematics, design, entertainment, management, media, healthcare, and other fields that are now a um, just a burgeoning group of people. And just as a just as an aside um, to take a look at this in, from a global perspective, just a hundred years or so ago in 1910, about four percent of the population were identified or even identified themselves as professionals or net and experts. And now, according to a recent study at the AFL-CIO, did about yeah, their professional employees um, section did a study, and now about 25 percent of the people. Uh, in the United States, in the workforce in the United States, are in these expert categories. So it's about one out of every four people on the expressway <laughs> going yeah. to work. Does that reflect, um, is that unusual? Like, is the United States higher than other countries, would you say? Well, I, I think so. Um, not necessarily higher than other countries in the in the Western world. There's countries in um, in Europe and Germany, Britain, Scandinavia that um, are following the same trend. And then in China is certainly beginning to follow that. But uh, essentially, it's we have a high level of formal education in this country. Mm-hmm. A- and um, that's one of our, our country's major strengths. And also there's a... In, in, in other, quote, less developed countries, there's a lot of people that are doing concrete operations instead of formal operations like an expert does. They, people that are still harvesting rice by hand or plowing a field or mm-hmm. using a pickaxe or something like that, and, which is what most people were doing 100 years ago. Yeah, true. So, so that would be one definition. So a second definition of expert are pe- people that um, are using what you might call an autotelic <laughs> definition, a self-authoring definition. Mm. And uh, according to the Pew survey, about 60% of the people in the United States, 60%, not 25%, call themselves experts. Okay, so the middle the middle class is disappearing, and now you don't <laughs> just say you know I'm a you know I'm a now now you're a you're a you're a um, uh, you're a, you're a hair consultant or a mixologist mm. or uh, a, a, you know and now this burgeoning field of coaching where many people are legitimate experts and they're just saying that they're experts and beginning to work in the line of development and in a very specific sort of a niche uh, to help people. So more and more people are self-defining as experts. Interesting. So that's a second definition. And then uh, a third definition and the one that I most commonly use um, since, uh, as you know, I look through the world through a developmental lens. Uh, My definition of expert is someone who has reached what a Piaget, who was a developmental um, theorist, called a formal operational stage of adult development. And a formal operational stage of adult development is somebody that can think in very complex ways. They're capable of abstract thought, deductive logic, long periods of concentration on complex tasks. They tend to be problem solvers and are advanced problem solution thinkers. Mm -hmm. And they have the ability to consider many different solutions to a problem before acting and finding the best act answer. So they typically are involved in complex tasks. And uh, one of the interesting things about that level of development is that it assumes uh, that they are already masters in what's called concrete operations. So for example, um, all surgeons know how to use a knife, but not all people who use knives are surgeons. So using a knife is a concrete operation, but performing a hip surgery is a formal operation. Mm. You know, 
uh, almost all lawyers know how to type. <laughs> but but uh, typing is a concrete operation that, that they use every day, and speaking is a concrete operation, but turning those paragraphs and sentences into a uh, brief or a, or a security that allows you to do a complex public offering is a formal operation. So okay. a lot of people can draw. That's a concrete operation, but constructing a building is a formal operation. So there's a lot of lesser included concrete operations in this formal operational stage of development. And so that's who I would call an expert. So let me ask you about the third definition you right. say, that these people have the ability to really focus on a problem. Do they tend to work more in isolation, or do they seek advice from others to get input, just in general, do you know? Well, I would say that um, many experts do work in teams, but the classic definition is really somebody that has the ability to work by themselves. So. Mm-hmm. Uh, a physician would diagnose by themselves and typically wouldn't have a team in their diagnosing except in a very complex case. Okay. Uh, the same is true with a, with, a, um, with a lawyer or an accountant. They typically don't work. They have individual um, skills that they do. And when they get together in teams, they tend to work in parallel, not mm-hmm. so much like a team that uh, would be trying to produce a, uh, you know, a given product or something like that. So they, they would tend to work alone or, simply ha- or certainly have the ability to do that. Mm-hmm. And then that can, be, that can be used then to work in parallel with other people and then sometimes really to work in a real collaborative way in teams with other people. Okay, great. Well, so let's talk about a being-driven leader. What are some of the characteristics? Of <laughs> so that's, that? so that's, so that's 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 inter- that, that's interesting. So I, I want to talk just a second uh, as we get to that uh, mm-hmm. about what it might be take to kind of like get get into the stage of being. Uh, it's being-driven leader is my term for someone that is going beyond an expert. Okay. So uh, that's what a, a being-driven leader is, and. Uh, uh, I, I just want to talk for just a second about what I think it would be to get beyond being an expert. So mm. the, the first definition of getting beyond an expert is for an expert to see their expertise in the same way that a current expert sees a concrete operation now. So becoming an expert is a lesser included skill in a new job. So a classic example of that is uh, an expert uh, that is like an expert in programming or something like that that gets promoted to management. Mm -hmm. Suddenly, they have a team of experts that are reporting to them, and they are waking up every day to a job that is quite a bit more complex than their little expert (laughs) world that they once lived in. And uh, they are not now being judged by how well they can do that expert task. It's assumed that they can do that expert task and do it really well or they wouldn't be there. But now they have to do something completely different in a much more uh, chaotic type of environment. It's not as as ordered as the expert environment. Their job now is not about what they can produce, but what they can cause other people to do. And there's a realization that other people don't act like numbers uh, on a spreadsheet or lines of code or organs in a body. They just... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> they, they, they don't act that way. Right. And so you, there, there's not like a, a direct line of causation. And so they, they then need to begin to, uh, get, to get another skill set where uh, people can be influenced in ways that are not as linear as the expert world. And sometimes I call 
let a chaotic way of thinking. So there's a concrete way of thinking, a formal way of thinking, and a chaotic way of thinking where where cause and effect is not as clear. And uh, it's much more important for them to become being driven. In other words, they begin to influence their situation, not so much by what they do, but by who they are. Oh, yes. And the word chaotic, I think, comes from order out of chaos or something exactly. you know, like quantum physics. So, uh-huh. so exactly. by being, you're sort of inviting people to come up with their own sort of structure out of maybe some chaos that they're experiencing <laughs> or whatever. Um, but by yes. just influencing. Okay, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, and so it's it's what happens to you when you uh, you get beyond expert. And I've used made up this term, this being driven term, because there's not a lot of language out there in popular culture mm-hmm. to describe a level of development beyond expert, because there's not met that many people inhabiting that place. Mm-hmm. But almost all the leaders are. Uh, they they are uh, they realize that their job is uh, to influence people, right. and. And that uh, someone that's, at, for example, at the top of an organization becomes, in a sense, the soul of an organization. And either unconsciously or consciously, the whole organization is picking up on their way of being. And uh, they create what is called a mimetic field or a, f- a field of, of a combination of characteristics and attributes and mannerisms and thinking that uh, is copied by other people in the organization. So, for example, Bill Gates at Microsoft, I never worked at Microsoft, but what I imagine is, is that the people at the top of that organization are, just have this sort of brilliant line and be able to write code and do all these linear things. And if Gates didn't have that, he wouldn't be at the top. Yes. Okay. Right. <laughs> yeah. <That> makes sense. <laughs> Right, and then as a leader, he's going to have to he's going to have to grow and grow out of uh, you know some adolescent things that he uh, adolescent stages that he's still in that he's left behind in order to really to be you know fundamentally effective. Interesting. Yeah, and he's no longer there running the show, so that <laughs> may be right. why, because he's better at doing code than <laughs> yeah, being exactly. an influential influencer. There's a there's a popular book in the '70s called The Peter Principle yeah. uh, that that talked just about this phenomenon: how somebody that was really good at some sort of an expert or formal operation gets promoted, and then they realize that they're not that good at it. They're not that good at managing people. Uh, yeah, it's yes. a completely different skill set that a lot of companies don't even realize. That they that it takes a, a complete different uh, set of skills. So, um, so what are some? So, do you want to talk about the characteristics now? Of yeah, the, sure. The, I'd, I'd love to love to talk about that. Um, so, um, I guess uh, to to really begin to talk about the uh, the the characteristics, it would be that. Um, a being-driven leader is someone whose primary interest is not so much in what they can do, but who they are. So there's a perspective that begins to shift uh, when we move up to the stage of being-driven leadership. And what this is what um, a developmental theorist by the name of Suzanne Kroeder, I think you're familiar with her work, called, yes. called a fourth-person perspective. 
a fourth person perspective. So the I, we have the I and the we and the it perspective, and a lot of experts aren't eyes or we's moving an it around. You know, they're they're moving some sort of a balance sheet around or a or a you know a body around or something like that. But a being driven leader is someone that has the ability to step out of that and begin to become context aware. So they become they take an observer's perspective and begin to become aware of who they are and the context that of, of, of their personality. And some really interesting things start to happen when uh, that um, occurs. And uh, one of the things that starts to happen is, is that that leader will tend to see themselves in a role. It's almost like they see themselves on a stage. And they have the ability now to play not just one role, like an expert does, but many, many roles, and realize that uh, all of those roles are really con- are really provisional personalities. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they're, just provisional, they're, they're provisional personalities that are used in certain contexts, so they become quite a bit more fluid in in the ways that uh, in the ways that they occur. And you'll watch that in in people that are leaders. They that they are a certain way in a grade school. There's a, they're a certain way at the, in the board of directors meeting. There's a, they're a certain way when they're an expert. They're, they're, they're able to switch now in a different way at home. And one of the problems with being an expert is you're, you're the same person everywhere. That's why right. experts tend to have so many marital problems and, and everything like that. Because <laughs> they just show act up like a boss. <laughs> like their boss, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. And so they become, you know, context aware and they have, you know, a really multiple ways uh, of occurring. And uh, so that's one. Second is that they become, they, they, they start to become uh, much more aware of nonlinear causality. Mm. Now, this is, sounds a little bit woo-woo. Okay, <laughs> that sounds really woo-woo to an expert that you wouldn't do A to B and get a solution. But uh, there, it's it's just clear to everybody that's in a high functioning organization that has a really great leader that there is nonlinear causality. Mm-hmm. That when they're there, things tend to work. Sometimes people really don't know why, but they said if we could only bring Sue back, if we only can bring bring Bob back, you know, things would really start to work well, you know, again, because they they are the glue that begins to hold uh, an organization together. That they have these micro relationships that they work on these these little um, uh, strands of of positive influence and positive resonance with people that, that create a field uh, around them that is really non-linear. Uh, and so when something wants to happen or something new needs to happen, uh, people will begin to line up behind that leader or expert like filings in an, in an iron filings in a, in a magnetic field that will say, okay, well, if, if Bob's okay with it, I'm okay with it hmm. <laughs> because I trust him. And he has my best interest at heart. And I know that he's an expert. I know that he knows what he's doing. And I know that uh, he uh, has, has uh, uh, a real uh, you know, sense of where the organization needs to go. So there, there's these, this nonlinear causality. And I, I've seen that all the time in, in great law firms. All the time, I've seen uh, this nonlinear causality happen, where the kind of the, the soul of a senior partner, a group of senior partners, get embedded in um, in 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 the younger lawyers, and they begin to copy them. And there's just sort of a calmness mm. that happens in in the whole field. So that's another thing. Well, um, so yeah. we're just yeah. up on a break, and so yeah. I'd love to save the the other. Uh, 
aspect or character for after the break because I really want to give it the time it deserves. And I great. And when you mention being self-aware, I think of those. There's also a way I've heard it worded that we witness ourselves. Is that accurate? You've got it. You have it exactly. Okay. So that may be the constant that we get to witness ourselves being in all these different roles. So I find exactly. That. So yes, and we'll get to that when we talk about ontological coaching, which is really training that witness. That's what it does. Great. Yeah. Okay. So right. uh, just to reintroduce my guest is Ross Hostetter. You can go to his blog and get more information at rosshostetter.com. R O S S H O S T E T T E R dot com. Check out his book, Keepers of the Field. It is uh, at www.keepersofthefield.com. And look into his mystical experience, the school that they're developing at thefieldworkschool.org. And we'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Engage with Andy Bush takes you inside the mind of a top global market and public policy analyst who has been featured regularly on CNBC, Yahoo Finance, and numerous radio and television programs. Our program will bring you guests and stories from the top of the political and business worlds. Each show includes Andy's point of view roundup and what it means for you at home. Life's complicated. Let Andy help you figure it out. Tune in every Friday at 3 p.m. Eastern Time, noon Pacific, on the Voice America Business Channel. Do you, like most Americans, spend the majority of your life at work? Are you making it the joy that it deserves to be, or are you feeling drained and unfocused? Tune in to A Great Place to Work with hosts Kurt Kaufman and Dr. Kathy Sorensen. Your hosts have more than 30 years of experience in workplace consulting and are ready to bring you the secrets and success stories of businesses who are making their business a great place to work. Listen every Friday at 11 a.m. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel and enjoy a better workplace and a better life. Voice America Business Network, the bottom line in business. You are tuned in to Quantum Business Insights with Olivia Parr-Rudd. To reach the program with questions or comments, please send an email to show at oliviagroup.com. That's show at oliviagroup.com. Now, back to Quantum Business Insights. Hi, Olivia here, and I'm with my guest, Ross Hostetter, and we're talking about moving beyond expert towards being driven leadership and so right before the break we were talking about some of the characteristics of a being driven leader Uh, number one we Ross mentioned their context aware and the second one more aware of non-linear causality so I'd love to hear more about this Okay, great. Well, there are a number of other characteristics. Um, I'd say the next one in the top five or six would be a willingness of a being-driven leader to embrace problems that do not have fixed solutions or maybe don't have one best answer. So they're willing to take on problems that are uh, chaotic, that involve polarities and paradoxes. So um, that's that would be that they they can arrive and and say okay well I can be 
I can be both conserving and evolving at the same time. I don't have to be one of those two things. I can be both an individual and a, and a member of a team. I can I could be a member of a team without losing my individuality. Those are polarities uh, that they're managing. I can be. I can have both a masculine and a feminine approach, and I can do that at the same time. And that those things don't bother them anymore. <laughs> wow. That's just the way. That's just the way things are. So, so they don't. Yeah. I was going to say somebody, and I've heard this that the tension can actually fuel innovation and release great energy, but right. people that have a high need for control would probably struggle with that. Would you yes, say? exactly. High need for control or a high need to control others and to mm-hmm. and to and to convince others of their viewpoint. So you you can see this in our political system all the time. There's groups <laughs> of people on the left and right that have just a high need to control, a high need to control others. They're using, you know, they're jacking people up and getting their cortisol level and all their outrage working and then there's a few people that are still trying to balance you know mm-hmm. the conserving and evolving polarity and come up with uh with 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 something that moves forward and real leadership so a being driven leader is always that person that is looking for that third way forward oh, that's great. so so uh on one of those one of the very common um things that they would do in terms of a paradox is that they're both willing to claim and share power at the same time so uh, a traditional leader just has all the power. They've claimed it and they delegate it. And mm-hmm. they, they are like a spider sitting in a web, you know, that has all the power going out. A uh, being-driven leader would, uh, would, would, be, would operate more like a, like a field. Or, and there's a popular business book called The Starfish and the Spider. Mm-hmm. The spider model is the, the person sitting in the web and controlling everything. The starfish is, uh, is you know, cuts off one of their own limbs, throws it out in the water, and it regenerates. So uh, a being-driven leader infuses the teams with her DNA and then allows them to do what they want to do and come up with with something that is autonomous. So there's this paradox between control and autonomy that that they're able to manage just because of who they are and the level of complexity that they're willing to take in. Yes, and I would just argue that I think this is becoming more and more necessary because of the complexity of the economy and technology right. and globalization. So I think people who are not moving towards this or organizations mm-hmm. whose leaders are not are not going to be successful unless they change. <laughs> would you well, agree? Well, that, that's certainly true. And one of the things that's driving it are the, the number of um, women that are in the workplace, the women, uh, number of women that are in traditional professional or expert roles, Mm -hmm. and they tend to demand a different sort of approach. They get awfully tired of this this top-down, stern-jawed Captain Marvel approach (laughs) that that, that leads uh, organizations into a dead end. Yes. You know, you, you somebody takes over and suddenly that organization that has been there for years and years doesn't even exist anymore. It's just been tanked. Yeah. And so uh, there, there's not enough intelligence in, in that organization. So there's a sense of that there's a shared intelligence that needs to be tapped and wanting to tap and wanting to bring out all of the shared intelligence. And I know that fracking is a bad term, especially here in, in Boulder, Colorado, but in, in the sense that they can take stratified layers of an organization, begin to frack it, and, uh-huh. to, be, and to begin to, to, to get the, the insight and energy, that's something what a, that a being-driven leader knows how to do. 
So, so that's another characteristic. They have these abilities to, to, to handle these uh, polarities and paradoxes. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess maybe a fifth thing, if we're going to do maybe the top five or six, is that um, in, in terms of being context aware, they also are aware of their own energy and what they're putting out and how they occur. So a being-driven leader no longer has uh, the license to lead by going into an infantile rage. Oh. Okay. <laughs> that, <laughs> Which some that, do. <laughs> that used to be the way of, of, of being a leader, of, of like coming in and yeah. you know, going into an infantile rage. And then everybody then gets kind of knocked back into their little corners and their little cages and they all get quiet and small. Mm-hmm. And, and the leader uh, uh, gets bigger. But that sort of energy, although it might have to happen, there might be a, you know, where you really got to you know, kick butt and take names in a certain crisis situation. If you're doing that all the time, you're not really a being driven leader. That's not, that's not what you, you want to do. So you're once aware of one's own energy, our, your own thought patterns. Uh, mm-hmm. Being driven leaders are beginning to embrace uh, what used to be considered woo-woo practices of the interiors, like mm-hmm. mindfulness meditation or loving kindness meditation, mm-hmm. where they begin to envision uh, how to create a positive resonance with people. And will oftentimes create a positive resonance before they ever give a critique, and so they will they will find a way to be uh, to 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 know what their energy is doing. And uh, I don't know whether you've ever been around a charismatic person, but a charismatic person is a being driven leader. They have charism, they have energy, and people just want to be around them. Yes, yes. (laughs) They want to they want to be like them. Yeah. and they want to dress like them, act like them, talk like them, you know? Yeah. Well, and when you mentioned resonance, I remember reading an article in the Harvard Business Review that said that if a manager is talking to one of their direct reports and they feel empathy for them, and so in my mind that's creating resonance, the yes. mirror neurons sync up in both of their brains. Uh-huh. So we're seeing it scientifically, which is very yeah. exciting for me. Yeah. Uh, there's a... Uh, uh, a woman that does this sort of research by the name of Barbara Fredrickson, uh, who actually puts on heart monitors and does breathing and and me- measures the oxytocin and cortisol levels in, the, in your body and the chemical things. And one of the things to realize is that that every interaction is a physical event. Oh. Every interaction. I mean, it doesn't have to be just some wild sex explosion or something like that to be a physical event. Every interaction is a physical event. And it, and it produces uh, changes in respiratory patterns, changes in, in blood chemistry. And where there's uh, a sense of openness and trust and you're feeling good about somebody and uh, oxytocin uh, is, is flowing in your, in your body and your endorphins are flowing and you're, you're inspired – Things just work better. <laughs> yes, and I think <laughs> tends to happen. Right. <laughs> Plus, I think people can tap into their imaginations. It probably is much better for innovation. You know, if people right. aren't in their fight or flight mode all the time, but are actually feeling safe and open, and um, you know, being invited to to be who they are. So it makes total yes. sense. Yes, we we know that intuitively, and it's becoming increasingly um, proved. You know, through scientific experiments. Yeah. So, so that's, that's one. And then I guess the final one we wanted uh, 
to I want to talk about is a is an ability to be willing to flow and be open to new ideas. So a being driven leader has a lot of open inputs. Mm. Uh, somebody that's just in a formal operational stage is an, is an expert is the expert by golly, and they've got the right answer. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, a leader that's in that stays in the expert. Uh, phase will want to get lots of different consultants and stuff like that in to give give inputs and will gather up a bunch of expertise to get an expert answer that is that is the best answer but there's that's different than being actually in flow mm-hmm. that uh, that we're willing to and more and more now in business we're hearing these flow state things like a willingness to fail forward a, mm. minim, a minimum concierge product that we're going to go out and try. And then we're going to look at it. We're going to get results. We're going to get data in real time. Mm-hmm. We're not going to do all of this analysis and all this paralysis by analysis before we launch one thing. So gone is the, you know, the years and years of work and then, you know, the public then just accepting, you know, whatever, you know, the Ford Motor Company brings out in the fall. Right. You know, well, that, that, that <laughs> Yeah, because the consumers are driving everything yes. now. Right. So. Yeah, right. I've heard the term fail fast, right. Um, <laughs> and, you know, just, but a lot of companies don't create a safe environment for failure. So that's yes. what the yes. leader, I guess, has to do. Yes, too. that's exactly right. So that's safe environment. So those would be some of the characteristics. And, of course, there's more. Okay. Well, um, I, I'd love to hear more if we have time. But I want to ask you about your coaching. So you call yourself an ontological coach. How's that different from a regular coach or a consultant? Well, uh, in, in my definition scheme, uh, let's talk about consulting first. So I um, think that consulting is someone who's essentially an expert who's called in to find or suggest a solution to a problem that a company can't solve themselves or company or person can't solve themselves. So it's, these are things like how to make the assembly line run more efficiently, how to make the place safer, how to reduce litigation. And oftentimes now they're both a combination of human and mechanical elements. Mm-hmm. Okay? But there's someone that's called in um, to provide, to solve a problem. So thin, they tend to be problem-solution-oriented uh, people. So they and might then, gather data, right? But they would right. determine the best action. Yeah. Okay. To determine the best action that a company can't see themselves. So that, that's, that's, I think, the highest level. That Sometimes a consultant is called in just to fire a bunch of people. <laughs> <laughs> God, that's true. <laughs> that's the worst. That to do something really unpleasant that the company is unwilling to do themselves. <laughs> so yeah. so that's, that, that's, that's one level. Um, and then, I, then traditional coaching uh, really trains the actor. So a traditional coach comes out of sports. So it's, this is how to hit a golf ball. So there's a certain way to do your backswing and your grip and, and your stance that has, increases your likelihood to hit a golf ball long and straight. Mm-hmm. There's also ways that you can coach people to increase their billable hours or how to set their priorities or how to manage their attention to get things done or how to do their filing system. So getting things done would be like uh, with David Allen. That would be traditional coaching, so it trains the actor. Uh, ontological coaching is a third level which trains the observer. Oh. Okay. So the ontological coaching trains the observer. So it, tra- it begins, an ontological coach says, works with, a, works with the client to help them observe how they're occurring. So it, we train someone to see themselves as an actor on the stage with many roles and then how to deliver something to a target. <laughs> 
Okay. <laughs> how to have a difficult conversation, how to deliver something to the, uh, the board, deliver something to a target, which is oftentimes another human being, which then causes a shift to occur. So I, I like to think that ontological coaching is a third tier of coaching uh, that has the other two, consulting and traditional coaching, as lesser included skills. You would assume that you're an expert in, in something and you can assume that you can do traditional coaching like set priorities and, and kind of act as somebody's external cerebral cor- cortex and help them think more clearly and hold them accountable and all that sort of thing. But an ontological coach really changes, coaches the being nature and, and trains the observer. So when you say you're helping them see themselves on stage to deliver something or do something, Mm -hmm. is the goal that while they're doing it, they'll also be able to observe or witness themselves? Well, yeah, exactly. Uh, that, that, that is exactly right because, of course, it's, it's a flexible flowing thing. It isn't just one thing. It isn't a two-to-one or a top-down sort of a thing. It's a, there's a mutuality that things are always changing. Right. So if we, could, we could use the metaphor of an actor on a stage. Mm-hmm. So everybody knows when an actor is acting, it's the most boring damn thing you could ever watch. <laughs> Right, <laughs> you know they they're just saying their lines in wooden ways and all and all that. So you don't want to watch that. What you do want to do is you want to have somebody that knows how to act and knows their lines and know those knows all the cues. That's assumed. So that's a formal operation. They've been trained as an actor. They they know how to do that. Right. And uh, then uh, what the audience wants is all that to be released, and they want to see some two people that are really in a high risk situation mm. that is so interesting and compelling. So they want to see Romeo and they want to see Juliet and they want to see them in love and they want to see them with, the, with their lives on their line for, the, for that love. And in order to do that, to be really Romeo and, and Ju- Juliet, the audience has to disappear. The lines have to disappear. And, and Romeo has to look at Juliet, has to look at her lips and say, do these lips want to be kissed? Mm. And if so... He kisses them. If if it's not, he doesn't. <laughs> and then you go back and forth, and and this this intense sort of tracking of of a of a situation is part of a a skill set of a being driven leader. And it's fun to be around someone that gets you, that mm-hmm. sees you, and that really can see deeply into the situation in your context. Uh, all kinds of things can open up, and communication can open up when there's that aha moment. So would you and, say intuition plays a part in this? Yes, in intuition, yes. So let's let's talk about what what I what I think intuition is. And there's a a, a difference between between a kind of a there's a pre-trans fallacy with intuition. So one way of talking about intuition is saying, "Oh, I just feel a certain way today and you know, I kind of think that the stars are aligned for me and I'm I I'm not so sure about the bus and all." And so you you whether I should take a bus or a car. So it's kind of an untrained uh, intuition. So what we're talking about now is somebody that already has all of that online, and then they have then a formal operational thing that they can train and they can think linearly in good categories. Mm-hmm. And then with that in place, knowing their lines, being a good actor on the stage already, a good technical actor, they now can open up to inputs, inputs that are either uh, non-rational or sub-rational, or super-rational. Mm-hmm. So an intuition could be, what is my heart feeling today? You know, now, right now, what is my gut feeling? <laughs> you know, yeah. what is, what is, what, what, what's actually happening in, in that sensory system? And then, uh, for me now, all the time, there's this kind of this uh, super-sensory thing that happens where I'm working hard on a problem or on a client's problem, 
and I'll wake, I'll take a nap and I'll wake up and bang, the solution is there. Yes. That, yes. And so, <laughs> so, you know, and then trust that and say, that's it. That's, mm-hmm. the, that's the solution that we have to try. So that's, well, that's intuition it, is, yeah. I'm sorry. Well, Go it ahead. just reminds me of um, Thomas Edison would do, he would intentionally take naps holding a spoon or a plate of ball bearings or something exactly. so that just to get that insight uh, from, you know, to, for a new idea to build the light bulbs. So he, uh, he, he would exactly, I think he would hold like a metal ball in his hand and, and sit there in front of the fire. Yeah. And then when the ball fell out, uh, he, it would wake him up and he would be right in that liminal area yeah. where, uh, where that new idea would be present. Well, and we're talking about field work. I, I just want to point out that, you know, you could think of this, right, as coming from the field. Um, yes. Which is, you know, maybe a knowledge base beyond just our little brain. So I just <laughs> want to mention that. Uh, uh, yes. Now we, now we are getting out there, aren't we, for this? <laughs> but, you know, we are talking about this. Actually, we're up on a break, and okay. um, this well, would be a great talk, time. <laughs> we can talk about that when we come back. Yes, yes, because... You are creating the fieldwork school right now, so I want to make sure. That's right. Um, and you and you listeners can find out more about that at www.fieldworkschool.org. Again, my guest is Ross Hostetter. Please check out his book, Keepers of the Field. It is a wonderful read, very inspiring, very opening, thought-provoking, and you can see more about that at keepersofthefield.com. And we will be right back. From the boardroom to you, Voice America Business Network. Are you a business innovator or are you just sitting on the sidelines? Tune in every week for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP. Host Bonnie D. Graham talks to a cross-section of the movers and shakers who are leading by example. They will share best practices and innovative ideas to keep you thinking and moving along with the best. Join us for Coffee Break with Game Changers, presented by SAP, Wednesday mornings at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Does your business, like many, face obstacles to becoming successful? Would you love to have an open forum of entrepreneurial ideas and best practices brought to you each week? Tune in for The Second Stage with hosts Brendan Anderson and Jeffrey Cadlick. We'll spotlight entrepreneurs and growing companies that are creating a vibrant economic base, as well as addressing some of the obstacles that could be standing in the way of your success. Listen Mondays at 5 p.m. Eastern Time, 2 p.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Channel. Business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. You are tuned in to Quantum Business Insights with Olivia Parr Rood. To reach the program with questions or comments, please send an email to show at oliviagroup.com. That's show at oliviagroup.com. Now, back to Quantum Business Insights. Hi, Olivia here, and I'm back with my guest, Ross Hostetter. And just before the break, we were talking about the characteristics or the nature of ontological coaching and how it differs from kind of traditional coaching or consulting. So you were saying that um, that people who are, are gifted as an ontological coach uh, look at perhaps even using intuition or um, 
tap into the field for knowledge. So I'd right. love you to expand on that. Okay. So the question is, uh, what are the sources of information uh, that we can allow ourselves to have and to begin to process in some sort of a useful way? So clearly, all the t- we're filtering mechanisms. We have thousands of things bombarding us as we sit here and talk to each other here on this radio show. There's light coming into the window. There's uh, sounds in the room outside. There's all kinds of bodily functions that are going on. You know, thousands of different inputs. And we, in order to be in, organize our reality and not uh, just be in some sort of a, of, a, of a chaotic state, we have to choose what we pay attention to. Mm-hmm. So the question of choosing what we uh, pay attention to and developing uh, skills to be able to be able to pay attention to uh, to more and more is one definition of higher consciousness or broader consciousness. It's expanded consciousness. We're able to pay attention to things that we did not have access to previously. So um, we're talking a little bit about intuition and Edison's ways of getting insights, which uh, were working with all of these complex problems and then uh, solutions uh, would arise. Clearly, geniuses work this way. <laughs> 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 they do. They work with, in, a, in a type of a, of a brain pattern, uh, which has been called vision logic. So it isn't mm. like linear logic. It's like vision logic, where something just occurs, and, and you get the whole download all at once, and then live into it. So you get the whole download about how the company works or how the training is going to work. And oftentimes, that will uh, happen in, uh, in a visual way. Mm. Um, and will be an up-leveling of, of, of previous ways of doing it. And I can just give you an example that happened to me when I was um, just uh, two days ago. I was designing a, a training program for lawyers. I'm going to go back. We trained through a group called the American Academy of Attorney Mediators, about 1,000 lawyers and how to do mediation, lawyers all around the country in the U.S. and also in Canada. And so there's this kind of a formal operational training skill that – that I have because we've done it. You know, we've done hundreds of trainings, training days. Mm-hmm. And then there was this question about what could I bring now that would, would be something uh, that would be quite different than what we were doing before. And so there was this idea that the, the way that we were teaching last time was a skill-based thing that was kind of a bulldozing approach saying, you know, do this, 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 and this. Mm-hmm. And um, that there was a sense of, uh, of it being up-leveled that came in vision, vision logic to say, well, no, you know, I don't need to do that anymore. What I need to do is help lawyers build a little house that they can live in every day, that they can function in, mm. that, they can, um, that they can be in, in flow states, that they can enjoy, that they can have positive experiences in. And there's little rooms in the houses. So I saw it as a house that uh-huh. had little, little, little rooms that they, that, that they, could, they could be in. Mm. Um, then the, the training was seen in a different way. I was seeing it in terms of a vision logic like a group of islands where the where my clients now would go and they would spend a little time inhabiting, a, um, learning a concept and then inhabiting that way of being in a, in a little island or exercise. And then they would learn a concept and inhabit that way of being in another island and exercise and then inhabit it in another one. So it was like, a, a, like they were going in an archipelago from, from place to place. And mm. then I was like seeing the energy in the room from you know, a lot of the energy that was there before that had a lot, it had a lot of, um, you know, 
energy of a, of a cause and heroic energies, and there's some sexual energies that we're putting in there, and that that could be refined to an energy of just this very clear attention uh, between um, myself and the person that is being trained, and also, be- and that that could be cloned between them, and that all became in in very visual ways. I could see the see the whole thing, and. And when that happens, you got to go with it. <laughs> That's yeah. your training, man. I love the metaphors, you know, and I think yeah. they would get it. I do wonder if, if you say to lawyers, "We want to invite you to be in a flow state," would they know what that is? <laughs> well, I think that we would have to back up and um, and define what that is. There's been a lot of. Um, of study and flow states. So it's nothing new. It's, it's really started in the 60s and 70s with, mm-hmm. I'm hoping I'm going to get his name right, uh, Mihai Chekmitsihai. Uh, he, mm. he, he did, our, he did um, uh, a uh, long study, psychological study on flow uh, and wrote a book by that same name called Flow, you know, um, you know the psychology of optimal experience. And, ta- mm. and, and it's, pretty well-known and well-believed what the conditions of flow are. And, um, you know, athletes are now using flow states constantly. Uh, high, you know, high-performance, you know, people in high-performance fields are using it all the time, speakers. So I think it's getting more and more, but they probably they might not know what that is. Mm-hmm. But I do think that they, they uh, have experienced it viscerally. I know that trial lawyers, you know, talk talked about that all the time that they're in flow that they disappear uh-huh. and that and that uh that they just fill up into the room that's what the flow state feels like you just fill up into the room oh, and sometimes okay. in a negotiation you disappear and just fill up into the negotiation and my goal is to be able to do that in something as mundane as doing documents yes <laughs> <laughs> or my writing, taxes writing, writing lines of code <laughs> how do we fill up in the room and get into a flow state doing stuff like that yeah really <laughs> So, so hey, I wanted to, t- to talk for just a second about um, maybe some steps that people could take as we close up our hour. Yes. If they want to get beyond expert. Yes. Um, it's just so fun to be with you, Olivia. And um, I just... You as well. I, yeah, I really appreciate the forum that you're creating. It's, it's really good work. Thank you. So, um, in terms of, of some next steps, I... I don't think that there's anything particularly linear about this, but um, if you find yourself in a situation where you are forced into a a new role, like that you've got a pr- promotion, or you are you're simply advancing into that in your own development, there there are, are some things that are, that can happen. One is that you can get really curious about a new way of being. So curiosity is a level or what you might call a, either a, a, a tonal level or a, a, a level of, a, of attention where a lot of other things can open up. Once you get curious, then um, states like flow states and love and joy and all that can uh, begin to open up. All the higher things start to open up. That's my, my personal experience. Mm-hmm. So d- developing an attitude of curiosity and not just poo-pooing something and not just, you know, being sarcastic, oh. you know, that, and, uh, is is really quite helpful. You can almost see people that are fixed in their own kind of sarcastic and mm. and cutting and judgmental ways of being. They're going to be stuck. They're never going to get to this level. So get get to curious. Be willing to shift your identity. Begin to see some 
from other perspectives. It's very helpful to and take be us wrong, right? And and to be wrong. So exactly right. So if you're a liberal, it's interesting for you to actually read conservative literature mm. and to see what's right about that. And if you're a just the facts man, you know, you might want to read some poetry. Yeah. Uh, and if you're uh, if you see yourself as your the protagonist in your own little hero's story, you might begin to see yourself as part of a community or as part of a much larger story. And one of the main things that I think that one can do is to get involved in the biggest story in town. And on this planet, that's human evolution. That's uh, <laughs> evolution, yes. personal evolution. We're the leading edge of the biggest story in town. So to get interested in that and get interested in development and get interested in evolution and how it happens is, is, a, is a big thing. So you take it on as a line of development. You take on your own personal growth as as a project. And that's one thing I think that both you and I have in common. I know enough about you that you have done all you're, – you're a personal development person. You yes. go to seminars. You're interested in stuff. You see a bunch of perspectives. And that's a lifestyle. It's a way yes. of being. Yes. So. <laughs> right. And you as well. <laughs> so that's why this Yeah. So, so that, would be, uh, that would be it. Then uh, the second thing would be uh, to – to take responsibility for how uh, you are occurring. In my own uh, life, this is m- one of the most difficult things because uh, it, that means the emotional state that, that I'm uh, occurring within, what I'm projecting on others, how I'm occurring in a conversation, what I'm creating by how that I'm, I'm occurring, and just become, start to become context aware, become aware of how we occur, and then begin to take positive steps to change how we occur, how we, are, how we arise. So then there, there's a whole, then, then, then I would say just pick the low-hanging fruit that helps you get into a, a, a state of um, either a synchronicity or what you might call positive influence or positive resonance. Just whatever that low-hanging fruit is. If that's a run, do that. If that's meditation, do that. If it's if it's some sort of visualization, do that. If yeah. you know it's uh, if it's just taking a pause before a conversation, going to the balcony a little bit, do that. A deep so, breath. Yes, <laughs> that's one of the exactly. Because I tend to hold my breath when I'm excited and just right. doing that deep breath. It's so quick and it just completely changes my feeling about how I'm interacting with my world. Yes. So, I- yes. so, th- so that's a, that's a deep breath is a great example. So uh, that, is a, that is creating a new set point mm-hmm. and, and a reminder. And it actually has physiological uh, effects. On the, on the exhale, there is um, uh, what's called the vagal response, which is the slow, the slightly, sl- slight slowing of the heartbeat that comes with a true exhale. Mm. Okay? Yeah. And when there's that slight... Uh, slowing of the heartbeat that comes to the true exhale, then there's that sense that after that true exhale happens, there's a sense of openness and, and, and that something new and different can happen. There, there, there was even a movie called Waiting to Exhale. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> Sometimes that's I'm right, doing was, that. <laughs> which is about, you know, a young woman that's waiting for the love, you know, waiting yeah. for, you know, a man's arms that she can exhale into and have wow. this legal response that she can, that she can, uh, uh, that you, that you can begin to merge. And of course, it doesn't have to be this high romantic, you know, absolute love. That is not what we're necessarily talking about. It's just, right. it's just be able to reset into a different kind of a love, which is well, positive resonance. Yes, and I think the, the, from what you've been saying, it might be that we allow ourselves to be enveloped by our own arms or our own right. world and, and do that exhale for ourselves. Um, right. So we have about a minute and a half left. Um, so are there some 
other characteristics you want? Okay, well, just a couple <laughs> of, like tips. Uh, yeah. the, the other thing tips. that I, yeah. <laughs> I would suggest is to go ahead and take on that project that scares the hell out of you mm. and forces you to uh, get out beyond being an expert. In, in my case, this was this novel, Keepers of the Field, which is about as unrelated to the idea of being a lawyer and a consultant and a trainer as anything you might imagine. <laughs> yeah. It required all kinds of different skills. It required failing from, from the first, uh, developing sentences and paragraphs, writing in a completely different way, and opening up to an imagination in our imaginal field, which has borne some really great fruits. But mm. that's, that really scared me. And uh, that's, a good, that's a good sign. You know, not yeah. the sort of fear of a barking dog, you know, but, but a fear of something where you know that if you walk into it, you're going to grow. And so uh, being willing to do that. And then the final thing is to really begin to take note and document just in the same way that you might document your time or some other metric that you're choosing, mm-hmm. nonlinear cause and effect. So when, when we begin to work on the way that we're being and work on the way that we occur, you know, take a little notebook and say, how, do my, how, do, how, do, how did my relationships change today? How did my productivity change today? And begin to, to actually begin to build a muscle so that you can begin to, to find out a core metric that you can watch in this new way of being. And I would suggest a good core metric is this metric of positive resonance. That's great. Well, thank you so much. I just so appreciate you being my guest today. And I hope you'll come back and visit us again. Well, I'm here anytime, Livia, so thank you so much. Oh, my pleasure. So next week, my guest will be Frederick Laloux, and we'll be discussing his amazing and soon-to-be best-selling book, Reinventing Organizations, a guide to creating organizations inspired by the next stage of human consciousness. So be sure to tune in for this inspiring interview. I'm your host, Olivia Parrud, saying thank you for tuning in to Quantum Business Insights. Thank you for tuning in to Quantum Business Insights. Please join your host, Olivia Parr-Rood, again next Friday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Business Channel. Enjoy your weekend, and we'll talk again next week.